Lesson number six of how to be led by God. This is being led by ministers, and we'll clarify that as we go on. We're talking about the seven leadings of God, beginning with the Word, then wisdom, then peace, then the Holy Spirit, and our count, uh, Holy Spirit. And now we've come to ministers, and then that will leave. Next week will be uh, the Word of the Lord, and then the supreme voice of the Father from heaven. And as we've had different analogies to explain how these work. The pyramid may be the one we can best visualize in that the higher you go up the pyramid, the less frequent these things happen. And so the foundation of that pyramid is always the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And every time you open up your Bible and read it, it is God talking to you. And when you open up that Bible, you give the Holy Spirit a lot of room to move in your life. But now we've come to number six on the lesson. Uh, and number five on the list is uh, being led by ministers, and so we'll clarify that. As we've previously stated, most submitted church-attending Christians will hear more from their pastor than they will ever hear directly from the Holy Spirit. And this is due to the fact that most pastors preach two to four times a week, or the equivalent of several hours of Bible-based exhortation, teaching, correction, and preaching. Honestly, if you come to church all four services here in a week, You'll hear this pulpit talk to you more than you'll probably hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to you in 20 years. Because the Holy Spirit will not give you seven hours of direct communication. Not in 20 years, I don't believe so. A nudge here, yes, a, a promise there, a peace. But he's not going to sit down with you and dialogue with you or teach you for an hour and a half straight at a time. You don't even see that in the scriptures. Now, that might be because he instantly downloads, and what he instantly downloads, it takes you six years to walk out. But I think we understand what I'm trying to communicate here. But due to the fact that a minister is a finite person, and I am certainly incapable of being with you always and in every place, our list exalts the leadings of the Holy Spirit above the leadership of a fivefold minister. So that's why we put the Holy Spirit first, though you'll hear from a preacher or your pastor more than you'll hear from the Holy Spirit directly. However, God has, in fact, set leaders over the body of Christ for a reason, to lead. And so when we talk about being led by ministers, we're talking about their, their role as leaders. What do leaders do? They lead. So when you follow the leader, what are you doing? You're being led. So we're not talking about us telling you what car to buy or what pair of britches to wear. We're not talking about this intrusive, controlling thing, not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we're not telling you what to eat or what house to buy. We can certainly bear witness that perhaps this house, this is not wisdom. But then again, wisdom was saying that before the preacher ever said that. Leaders lead, and by definition, everyone else follows. Therefore, one of the ways God leads us is by his appointed leaders. Now, of course, I had to write a massive section about this fear of following. Uh, thanks to the 1950s and 60s and 70s and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and, and Jim Jones and David Koresh, we have this exacerbated fear of cults, not realizing that cult leaders aren't the only things that lead people. So do demons, so do media, so do marketers, so do anybody producing something they want you to buy. We're always afraid somebody's going to be leading us and leading us astray. And yet those that don't have a God-appointed leader are indefinitely led astray every day. So let's address this fear of fellowship. This topic's become touchy due to the paranoia and fear of cult leaders and controlling personalities. And these fears can easily be assuaged by, of all things, obeying the Bible. 
Why are we afraid of leaders except that we don't know our Bible? I have served five pastors. None of them were perfect. All of them made mistakes, and I had no problem trusting any and every one of them with my life because I can also read the Bible. It is easy to avoid this paranoia if it isn't Christ-like or this controlling cult-like leadership. That's easy to avoid if it isn't Christ-like or God-honoring, and you, you shouldn't follow the lead. Uh, also, don't forget most Christians have no problem blindly following their boss's lead. So there's a hypocrisy there. We don't want to follow a good pastor, but we don't mind to let the boss have our soul and our future. And we agreed to 40 to 45 hours a week, and if he, get, if he wants 70, we don't have a problem giving him that. And being out of town every other week when we were never discussed that in our original contract. For some reason, Christians don't have a problem with that cult leader. But they have a problem with a preacher saying, you need to tithe or you need to be more faithful, or you need to be a better husband. You're just controlling. Well, obviously, if we were controlling, we wouldn't have to be correcting you because you'd already be doing it. And I think Christians obey their boss because they know it has the promise of a paycheck. So really, those are mammon servers and Pharaoh pleasers and not so much servants of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's look at this thing about God's leaders because we need to get a hold of this. Uh, and I think we get that for the most part, but we also want to study this for the future and for those who've never heard this kind of teaching. I think we all understand that God has leaders. One man pointed out that the Bible pattern from Genesis all the way to the Revelation is that God gives his vision to one man. Not in the earth, but one man over a vision. And then he supernaturally begins to draw people to that one man so that he has the help he needs to accomplish the vision of God. God gave a vision to Noah, one man, and then he had seven family members to help. And then God gave a vision to Moses, one man. And that one man had to have Aaron and her and have to have the 120 elders, or, uh, judges and the 70 elders. He had to have Joshua. He began to gather men to that leader. And then you have the kings. They had visions. You had judges. They had the vision, one man, and then God would draw people there. And so if you don't have the vision for the local church, then you're a helper. And so we always joke about the arrogance of a Jezebel coming in, thinking she can come in, uh, having not even known the full name of this church, not even know my first, middle, last name, or how long I've been here, and think she has the new vision for this church. And that woman, I don't have a problem standing up publicly rebuking and having her never come back again, because it's of the devil, her attitude. So if you're not the visionary for a local church or a ministry, then your position is one of following. And once you prove yourself faithful in following, God begins to promote you under the canopy of that vision to be a judge like Moses had 120 judges or an elder like Moses had 70 elders or maybe a faithful military leader like Moses had Joshua or maybe like King David where you had your mighty men of valor then you had your troop of 400 then your troop of 600 and then you had your governors and your princes and your administrators and your counselors but until you master fellowship you never get promoted and unfortunately in our nation we're so independent we think nobody knows what's better for me than me and that's why their life's still a mess so God has chosen to lead his people through men and women whom he equips through his anointing and wisdom. We understand this. Exodus 32, 24, uh, the Lord told Moses, Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto every one of them about. No, thank you. You caught that. Only, God had only spoken to Moses about the future for that congregation. 
they had to trust Moses, a man who came down and all as far as they knew, knew they, he was just a shepherd. And this little shepherd, this 80-year-old shepherd comes down and shakes a rod at the king of the world, Pharaoh, and challenges a little shepherd challenging the military might of the modern industrial world and said, in a sense, he didn't throw down the gauntlet, he threw down the rod and said, up that, what else can you do? Because my God is greater. They had to trust this man. And it was evident this was hard for them because eventually God let them all just die out. <laughs> and so the younger generation who said, well, we have no problem trusting the shepherd. <laughs> I think after 40 years, they realized we can trust and possess the land or we can bellyache and die. We can trust this man and possess the land or we can bellyache and die. I think we can just trust this guy because God keeps endorsing him. It's a pretty simple lesson. It's not easily learned though. God said to Moses, therefore now go, lead the people into or unto the place of which I have spoken unto you about. God's leaders know where God wants his sheep. The sheep must trust their shepherd and follow him into the plan of God for the flock. This is, I can, as much as I believe the Bible, even as an American, I know how this sounds to the ears of the average American. You want me to follow somebody? And again, we make the point, you don't have a problem following social media. You don't have a problem following the talking heads on television. You don't have a problem following your pagan friend who you're trying to please at work. You don't have a problem following the boss who wants to suck you dry and spit you out when he's done with you. How come we have a problem following proven, and we should qualify it, proven leadership? Well, I have no idea. It's just an enemy of the flesh. It's the flesh. It's the enemy of our soul. And so this is what the Bible said from the beginning. Numbers 27. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a committee and a board of deacons over the congregation and let them vote on the will of God and the direction of God and the plan of God for this little country church. Set a singular man over the congregation which may go out before them, which may go in before them, which may lead them out and may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not a sheep which have no shepherd. And notice flocks only have one shepherd. I do not believe in assistant pastors. I don't believe in associate pastors. I don't even believe in youth pastors, though we'll use that term to try to explain things. Because when there's multiple pastors, it gets a little confusing because it automatically lends itself to uh, coagulating to groups or cliques within a church. And if this associate over here has a, a more winsome personality, you know the devil will come in there and pull some sheep over there. And now we have a micro-insurrection in a good house of God. And yet, because we are Americans and we love titles, denominations make room for that. Uh, it's so absurd now, we have... Uh, a friend of mine is the associate worship pastor. Associate worship pastor. Now, he's one of, I think, three or four associate worship pastors. I didn't know there was such thing as a worship pastor. I thought there were minstrels and psalmists and worship leaders. But okay, so you're the worship pastor. Who are you pastoring? So what is exactly your scope of work? Because I study the pastor's office, and I have for over 10 years now. I, I don't... I don't see this. But somebody's got to be made to feel important so we can close the, um, the employment contract. So we can put them on the, on the 
page of our internet website. Uh, and then you have creative arts pastor. I've seen that. Multimedia pastor. Senior adult living pastor. <laughs> How many shepherds does this flock need? I remind you that Israel here was pushing three million people. Set a man over a congregation. How many presidents do we have? One. We have a vice president. It's kind of a name only. He's just there in case the other one dies or gets assassinated. And they don't ever travel together. It's amazing how easily the church moves off of the foundational truths. So, okay, that's not my point of the sermon or the lesson, but there it is. Set a man who may lead and go out before them and come in before them, that the congregation of the Lord be not as a, a sheep having no singular shepherd, not a pastoral staff. Most of my friends with big churches have pastoral staffs, and they're just dead wrong. Now, they got other awesome doctrine, but I just, I don't see it. I don't mind if we call them ministers, you know, adult living minister or uh, youth minister or youth leader or congregational or a, a college and career leader, but you start using the term pastor, you're invoking an office, a five-fold ministry gift that is designed to perfect the saints and lead in a separate direction. And if you have that in a congregation, you have a, a, a hydra, you have an eight-headed freak, a nine-headed freak, and it sows confusion because who is the visionary of the church? pastor. And it can make a mess really quick. Anyway, let's move on. God's leaders are set over the congregation to lead them. This means going out before them and the congregation follows and coming in before them and the congregation follows. Without the leader leading, the congregation are sheep without a shepherd, scattered and vulnerable. So this is one of our leadings of God, the leadership of the local pastor. We would even say fivefold ministers in general because they're given to perfect the saints. It's not a direct leadership where, again, I don't want you calling me, asking me at 2 a.m., what does this verse mean? That's what you ask the Holy Spirit for. Or maybe you wait till we have a question and answer session or email or something. But this is a general leadership. This is a, a leading of, of the, the wholeness of the congregation, the corporate anointing of the vision of the church. And when you become a part of that, you decide you're going to follow the local church, follow the local pastor, it honestly helps because it eliminates a lot of decisions. I was, it's a sad story, and some of you know the details of it, but when we did the kids' wing, we spent six months preparing this church for this massive kids' wing thing. It was 6,000 feet of gutting and remodeling, and I knew it would be a massive endeavor. And I told us as a church for six months, when we tear into this thing, we're not taking vacations. We're not going anywhere. This is what God is calling us to do. Our money is going towards this. We're going to have to be up here working 40 hours a week on top of our jobs. We're going to be given extra money. We're not going. We're not skipping. You parents, this is for your children. I expect you up here every night that you can be up here, that your job is not taking you away. And everybody said, like the congregation at the base of the mountain for Moses, everything you say we will do. We're with you, pastor. Just lead us. And we had a young couple that had babies and they were unfaithful to the program and they wanted to go have fun and one young man skipped to go ride motorcycles and he was killed. And though my heart was broken when I heard it, we were out in Oklahoma when we got word, I thought, but why wasn't he with the congregation? The whole of the house of God 
And every father and mother is up there building this kid's wing for their children for the glory of God. And he's out riding motorcycles. And I told this congregation for seven months, because now this was January, February, we're up here building this for our kids. Yes, pastor, we're with you. And I have no doubt he would be alive today if he'd followed the leading of his pastor. I didn't say don't go ride motorcycles. I said something more generic, more general. This is what we're going to do. And it was a total move of God because how else do you get a congregation to work nine months straight, five and six days a week? That's revival. He's in heaven. The rest of the family's serving the devil. There's a tremendous responsibility in leadership and then even better in fellowship. Second Chronicles 20, 20. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe as prophets, believe as prophets. We would just say men of God, speaking by divine inspiration. Believe as prophets, so shall you prosper. That's a tough verse right there because I, I studied it recently. Believe and believe is the same word with equal weight. It's not enough to believe God. We must also believe his leaders. Believing God establishes us. That's great. Gives you foundation. But believing his leaders advances us. Sheep without a shepherd go astray. How many folks out there are born again, but they have no spiritual leader in their life? And they go nowhere. One of my pastors I served, he would say, you'll go faster with a pastor. I like that. It rhymes. It's fun. And it's absolutely the truth. You have a leader over your life. You skip over things that other people pothole in. You bypass calamity. You have a, an extra word of wisdom, a word of encouragement. You have counsel. You have someone watching over your soul. But you do have to believe it and trust it. I'm reminded now, Brett and Bobby are missionaries to Uganda. Now they're coming into seven years in Africa. About three years I guess three years before they went, they were looking at upgrading from the house they were in. It was about a thousand square foot house. They had two kids and they'd been in that house 10 years and they were making great money and they were ready for a house. So they were house shopping and they just kind of caught a bug and they'd show me these houses and these were nice, gorgeous homes, you know, 400,000, $500,000, expensive, nice, maybe not that much, big, lovely homes. And everyone we went to as their pastor, I went, ugh. And we go look at another house, ugh. And, and they said, what do you think? I said, I don't feel good about it. And it actually made them mad because they felt like I was standing in the way of a blessing. And I said, look, I don't care where you live, but I don't feel good about it. You're asking me, I don't feel good about it. And uh, of course, once you get your heart set on things, it's really hard to follow leadership. In fact, like, like the prophet said, or the Lord told the prophet, they have idols in their heart. Why do they even bother to ask you, leader? They've already heard what they're going to hear. They've already made up their mind. So having ears, they don't hear. And so I said, look, you can buy it if you want to. You're just asking me what I feel. I feel blah. No peace on this thing. And so they, they trusted me. And so they never bought the house. They stayed in the little home they were in. And then it wasn't a year later. They know we're called to Africa. And what a hassle it saved them. Could God have moved the house if they bought it? Sure, but their finances would have been stretched so thin as they're trying to prepare everything to go from the money they were making to about $10,000 the first year at Mission Field. It might have been a little bit more than that, but it wasn't much. You have to be able to trust the people God has called you to. 
It is clear from the total message of the Bible that God expects his messengers to be listened to and obeyed when they are speaking for God, especially when they are speaking from the Bible. God advances his people through God-ordained leadership. You'll never finish your race without leadership. You'll never come into your destiny without leadership. You'll suffer loss without leadership. You cannot lead yourself. Psalm 78, 70 through 72 NIV, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. Of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. How many kings did Israel have? Did they have associate kings? Did they have vice kings? Departmental kings. No, they had one shepherd for a nation. Yes, he had mighty men of valor, then a contingency of 200, 400, 600 governors, princes, counselors. The administration was delegated, but there was one singular voice, and he led them with a skillful hand and integrity of heart. David learned how to lead God's people by first caring for his father's sheep. Uh, this doesn't mean he went into the individual homes and said, I put the, uh, the, put the rug over there and I would put the couch over there. That is a little weird and controlling. Mm, those colors don't look good on you. If you're going to come to this, you need to dress in these colors. That's not what he's talking about. He led the nation. When he said, it's time to fast, the nation fasted. It's time to worship God, the nation worshiped God. Time to go to war, the nation went to war. Time to train, the nation trained. We, we see leadership in general terms. And God sorted out the details through delegated authority and through the individual promptings of his people. All right, so I wanted to lay that foundation. Of course, we know it carries over to the New Testament. Ministers as a leading example, because now we jump straight to the New Testament, and these verses really ruffle American feathers. Because we, wanna, we don't mind following as long as it's Kardashian following. Or, you know, 10 years ago it was Paris Hilton following, or Oprah Winfrey following, or our favorite, whoever our influencer is on social media that we just think is the bee's knees. We don't mind following as long as it's who we choose to follow. But that's not the kingdom. The kingdom, God sets you on your job, you follow your boss. He sets you in your classroom, you follow your professor. He sets you in your church, you follow your shepherd. Leaders also lead by example. Their lifestyle becomes an epistle that is visually read and imitated. Now again, you'll have to pardon me. I just finished this curriculum at 9 o'clock this morning, so it didn't get through the editing process. So if you find any typos, just grin and mark them up yourself. Kylie will get this thing emailed to her tonight, and we'll be ready for uh, pod school. Several verses speak to this spiritual principle, that is, following the leader's lifestyle. In each of these verses, the Greek word used is typos or tupos, and this is where we get the word type, typewriter. Tupos or typos, as it looks like it's pronounced, a figure formed by a blow or impression. So typewriter, the old... The old typewriters, cuckoo, the little arm, cuckoo. It was a figure created by a blow or an impression. Or if you took the signet ring and you pounded it into the wax, that would produce a tupas, an imprint, an impression, an example. In the technical sense, it's the pattern of conformity to which a thing must be made. So it's a blueprint. You ever try to build your life without any example? Yeah. 
You're not meant to reinvent the wheel. But if you don't follow anybody in your life, all you're always doing is reinventing things. It's an example to be imitated. These are the Greek definitions of tupas. So let's look at a few verses. Philippians 3.17. Brethren, be followers together of me. As a congregation, Paul had the boldness to say, follow me. You're a cult leader. No, it's the apostle Paul. And mark them which walk also as you have us for a tupas, an example. He said, don't just follow me. Follow people that represent or look like me. Now, it wasn't the way he dressed. It wasn't the way he walked. But we understand the way he carried himself in Christ. The way he carried himself with purity. The way he carried himself uh, with demeanor, with gravity. The way he carried himself around women. The way he carried himself around leaders. He said, you can follow me. God has endorsed me. 2 Thessalonians 3.9. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an tupas, an example unto you to follow us. So he said we had authority to do things, but we refrained from it to set an example for you. And honestly, when the Lord sets examples in front of you, he expects you to follow them. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise your youth, young pastor, but be thou a tupas, an example of the believers. What's the implication? In hopes that they'll follow you. Be an example of the believers. Be an example in your word. That means your your con, um, your dialogue, your, your speech, in conversation, that means lifestyle, in charity, in attitude, spirit means attitude, in faith or faithfulness and in purity. So every leader should be an example in how they talk, in how they live, in their love walk, in their attitude, in their faithfulness, and in their purity. If I'm faithful to this church, you should be faithful to this church. Yeah, but you make a paycheck here. I was faithful to this church before I was pastor here. Folks don't get it. You don't just, this is not Sunday morning black entertainment. It's not Sunday morning white entertainment. This is not Sunday morning Christian entertainment. This is where you come to see how you're supposed to live. And if you're not living according to what you see, you're failing God. And don't ask him to show up and deliver you when you mock the examples set in front of you over and over again. Because that makes you a half-baked Christian and then your kids look up to that and they become worse-baked. Bringing bring in family here isn't enough. It's not enough to, to watch a hero on television. If you really idolize them, you want to become like them. There was that really cool example of the last Olympics. This Michael Phelps has been in like four Olympics. And they're every four years. So he's been in the Olympics for 16 years. So he had this kid competed in the Olympics and beat him. But this kid grew up watching Michael Phelps in the first Olympics and says, I want to be like that. So this kid doesn't just idolize Michael Phelps. He says, I'm going to be like him and did it and beat Michael Phelps in the last Olympics. Talk about a kid. I wish we had Christians like that all over the world. We have them. They're just not everywhere. <laughs> first Peter 5, uh, 2, 3 century standard Bible. Shepherding God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. That would eliminate all of TBN right there. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Nothing on TBN is worth watching but Billy Graham reruns. And maybe David Jeremiah out of California, who's Baptist, and maybe 
Dr. Charles Stanley. I mean, he, I still endorse Dr. Charles Stanley. I endorse the Baptists on TV and everybody else you can flush because it's all about money. You get on TBN to expand your market ship because the more people you're televising to, the more we'll send money in. Callers are standing by. Come get your pendant keychain. We have pimped and prostituted and made money off the gospel, merchandised it. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples or tupas, that which exists to be followed. What good is a blueprint if nobody follows it? What good is a pattern if nobody follows it? God doesn't set these in the church not to be followed. It mocks God when he sets a blueprint in front of you and it gets ignored. I remember many times, especially when I graduated college and I left here, I would be in many situations and scenarios and I wouldn't know how to handle myself or what to do. And in my heart, nobody taught me this, but it's like your heart just automatically falls into it. I'd say, well, what would Pastor Vaughn do here? How would Pastor Vaughn handle this? I always heard him preach and I always said in my heart, I want to be like that. I'm smart enough to know that I, want, I have to grow up out of my immature carnality. So how would Pastor Vaughn handle himself here? And I, there were just numerous situations where me setting my heart on his example, I had the answer and it never failed me. I remember one time in particular, you know, you graduate college, so you're still like a teenager in your mind, even though you're 22 and 23. And I was just in a habit, when I was a big runner in those days, I just ran everywhere with my shirt off because, you know, you run in 10, 12 miles, you run with your shirt off. And you're 22, 24, 25, you don't think anything of it. And one day it struck me, I was actually running in an apartment behind my, excuse me, running up a hill in an apartment. And all of a sudden it struck me, Pastor Vaughn doesn't run with his shirt off. Now, he probably doesn't run, but even if he did run, <laughs> I know he doesn't do it with his shirt off. And that's the day I said, I won't run with my shirt off anymore. And so one of my buddies I worked out with, he said, you don't run with your shirt off anymore. I'm like, no, why? I'm just convicted of it. My example has, my standards been raised. So he didn't think anything of it. And so then about four or five days later, he was a big muscular guy. He said, I'm convicted. I said, why? He said, I was out working out at North Shore Park. And he said, uh, and I was doing pull-ups with my shirt off. We used to do a lot of pull-ups. And he said, I saw a husband and wife coming, walking their dog, pushing a kid in the stroller, and I saw the wife check me out and grin. And he said, now I know what you're talking about. Don't want to be a stumbling block. But you'd never get that on your own. It'd take a long time. And some things you just follow by example. Another example, uh, i got as much time as I want. When I turned 21, thumb rings were kind of coming in, being popular then. So 21, that would have been 1995. And, and I'm sorry, 1997. And I got a thumb ring and I wore it on my, my right hand for whatever reason. And I liked it and I thought it was cool. Of course, I was still kind of hippy dippy coming out of Seattle. And I had an extra one that didn't fit. So I had the one that did fit. And Pastor Vaughn's son, uh, his oldest son, it was, it was named John, John Michael, he was uh, probably 13 at the time, just a kid running around the church, and here I am in college. He liked it. He said, I like that thumb ring. I said, thanks, man. I said, I got an extra one. If it fits, you can have it. He said, sure. So I brought it to him the next service. He put it on, and that Sunday night, he didn't have it on again. So I said, John, hey, what happened to your thumb ring? He said, my dad took it away from me. And when he said that, my heart sunk because if my pastor's son doesn't need a thumb ring. I don't need a thumb ring. So I just instantly 
pulled it off, put it in my pocket, and I honestly made an appointment to go repent to Pastor Vaughn because I had done something without his permission that he had to correct, and I didn't want that. So he knew I didn't mean anything by it. I made an appointment. I went and met with him. I repented to him, and he said, I know you didn't mean anything by it. I said, I just, please forgive me. I, I was just trying to bless your son, and he told me you took it away, and forgive me. And he said, I forgive you. And it was nothing to him. And I didn't ask why he took it away. I didn't even need an explanation. Curiosity is worse for you than it is cats. Nothing wrong with an explanation, but sometimes faith just says, all right. And so that was uh, September because I turned my birthdays in the end of August. So December rolls around. December 97, we're at this restaurant in Knoxville for Christmas. And uh, it's actually Copeland's. It's out of business now. Copeland's is a big fancy chef out of New Orleans. So we went there because we like Copeland's food. And we get in there. It's like a two-hour wait. But my parents are going to do it because we're from Louisiana. And if Copeland's is opening something in Knoxville, we got to eat there. And the first thing I see when I walk in there is like, man, there's a lot of gays in this place. The whole bar is run by gays. The whole wait staff is run by gays. Gays, gays, gays. It's like gay fest. Didn't know there were all these gays in Knoxville. If, if the, this has been, must have been all the gays in Knoxville. They just came to work here. So we finally get a table and they bring our water and our bread, and the hand that brings the water in has a thumb ring on it. And, I, and it instantly it struck me like lightning. I said, thumb ring, and I, followed, I literally followed the arm up, and I said, homosexual. Oh, that's why we don't wear thumb rings, because the gays use it to identify themselves. Nothing wrong with a thumb ring. It's neither here nor there. But if the gays are using it to identify themselves, you should have no part in it. If your hairstyle looks homosexual, change your hairstyle. If your dress is incriminating, change your hairstyle. But that's an example of my pastor being a standard. And I didn't fully get the picture. But if it's not good enough for his 13-year-old boy, it ain't good enough for this 21-year-old boy. Or you can be this belligerent, rebellious American. Like, well, what does he know? He doesn't run my life. I'm thankful I didn't watch, march around for six months advertising myself as something I'm not. Amen. I still have no affinity for thumb rings. Wear them if you want. As for me and my house, we will never have a thumb ring. That, that experience was just way too strong for me. And I understand it's neither here nor there. A haircut's neither here nor there. But if the sinners are using it to distinguish themselves, amen. All right. The command to follow their example. Oh, this is not good. There will always be Christians who scoff at the notion of following, trusting, or even obeying a godly leader. Those Christians will go nowhere, and they'll suffer loss season after season. The Bible is clear. We don't follow wicked leadership, nor are we to follow after even carnal leadership. We follow God's leaders as they follow the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me, Paul said. And then seven chapters later he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. And so we follow as long as it's in the vein and in the boundaries of Scripture. Please remember you are always following someone or something. You're following your carnal whims. You're following that familiar spirit. You're following the pressure of mom and dad. You're following the pressure of social media, which is a total waste of your life. You're always following something. Nobody ever called social media cult leader, except it begs you to pay attention to it every five minutes. It's taught you to be a dopamine addict. So you're just a little druggie having to look and see how many likes you have and how many hearts and thumbs up. How shallow that we're steered by a little icon that says thumbs up. Shallow human existence. 
What does it say about your neediness that you follow the little blue thumbs up on Facebook with the little hearts on Instagram? If that really makes, means a lot to you, just have a little sticker made up with a blue thumb and put it on your windshield. Just put it in the upper corner of your phone so anytime you're feeling insecure or needy, you can just look, oh, there's a blue thumbs up. <sighs> I feel affirmed and valuable. Except Jesus died for you. That should make you feel affirmed enough. Please remember you are always following someone or something. No one is entirely independent of influence or leadership. Nobody. All we can do is control who we follow. Ministers as a source of doctrine and correction. If you remember, the primary way we are to be led by God is through the truths of his word. What is the number one thing ministers do? We minister the word. What's interesting is we're going to see the ministers reaffirm the first four leadings of God. Here's the first one. What's the number one thing I do? I'm a preacher and teacher of the truths that are your number one leader. Ministers are anointed to teach and preach the Bible. That is their greatest gifting. You must sit at their feet and hear their sermons in order to receive the needed direction. The fivefold ministers equip saints with the word of God so that they be henceforth no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. When you sit at the feet of anointed fivefold ministry gifts, they will perfect you that you will grow up and be no more childish. You know what childlike is? Easily offended. Tossed to and fro, up today, down tomorrow, up today, down tomorrow. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. We have a lot of Christians, they just chase the next doctrinal thing. And I, I find it amusing. I can prove a doctrine to you with 100 verses and spend three months there, and somebody will say, I mm, still don't see it. I'd rather cling to the weird stuff I learned on TBN 15 years ago. You mean the guy that doesn't exist anymore because he fell into adultery? You want to follow that old doctrine? You've not stayed current with present truth? 2 Timothy 4, I charge thee therefore before God, this is the pastor's charge, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Here's the pastor's job. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So we follow leaders. We follow preachers because they give us doctrine and they give us correction. And doctrine and correction keeps your life going down the middle of the road. Doctrine is one set of rumble strips. Correction is another set of rumble strips on the highway of life. And if you will come to church and submit to leadership, you can enjoy some latitude in there. We just don't want you going off the cliff. Sometimes if you're really dumb and in your really bad place, we're guardrails that will produce sparks in your life. And we will ruin your paint job, but we will save your soul. Then again, you can hit us hard enough and we'll just crash out of the way and let you go to hell. But if you're smart, you say, oh, look, guardrails. Let's hug the inside a little closer. Amen. There's a reason the Bible calls God's people sheep. Because it is a biologically proven fact, sheep are the stupidest animal on the planet. Most insects are more intelligent than sheep. <laughs> sheep are the only animal in all of the animal kingdom that will be lost less than one mile from home. You always hear these stories about Otis and Milo finding themselves from the Rocky Mountains back to New York City. 
And I still follow news articles. I don't read them. I see the headlines. Dog lost eight years, travels 1,600 miles back to its homestead. How does the dog do that? And Christians can't find their way across town three services a week. Stupid sheep. The Lord picked the, the example. I did not. <laughs> if you have a GPS, we'll program it for you. And if you have a smartphone, we'll put a reminder Friday night, Saturday night, in two hours, one hour, and 30 minutes before service. And it'll, you can tell Siri, tell me where to go. Bloop, 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 bloop. It's time for your church appointment. Leave now. Traffic is good. It's cookful. Roads are empty on Sunday morning. <laughs> Friday night, they're packed because everybody's at the food trough. Sunday morning, it's empty because nobody's hungry for God's word. It's good preaching. I want to know which one of you is affecting my teaching session this morning. We're having to correct a little bit more, exhort a little bit more, warn a little bit more, rebuke a little bit more. It's all good, though. Ministers as a source of wisdom and counsel because of the office, gifting, and life experience of God-ordained minister, uh, a, a God-ordained minister possesses, they are a superior source of wisdom and counsel. Why would you go to your coworker for marital advice? Why would you go to your Aunt Edna for financial advice unless she's a millionaire? Why would you go to your BFF on social media for spiritual wisdom? Why would you go to social media, period? You're worth more than that to God. The bigger your decision, the more input you would require. And minister's wisdom can see through our haze, our smoke, our fire, and even our forest that we're lost in. They can see what we can't see because their emotions uh, are not entangled in our decision-making. Proverbs eleven fourteen: where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Edna don't count as advisor, neither does your mama. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 20, 18, every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice, make war. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise counsel, thou shalt make thy war, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. If you have a counsel board, you should have at least your pastor and an elder or two on that board. And maybe a mother in the faith who you trust, who actually has fruit worth following. But you will become whoever you follow and talk to the most. And then we have other scriptures on counsel. Ministers as a source of peace. So we looked at ministers as a source of the word. Ministers as a source of wisdom and counsel. Now ministers as a source of peace. Follow the example of the ordained leader in your life. Or excuse me, following the example of the ordained leader in your life contains a promise of peace. Certainly, we can't expect our lives to go well if we purposely rebel against their godly standard. Philippians 4.9, Paul said, Those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do them, and the God of peace shall be with you. So let's work that backwards. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, reject, and you will be miserable. I think that's a fair interpretation. Yeah. Ministers as an avenue of the Spirit. We as Pentecostals love this one. We want a word. 
And we, like I've taught us, we make it like Madame Cleo. We make it as a, we often make prayer lines a psychic network. And we miss the opportunity for the word preached to lead us. And the wisdom and counsel to, to direct us. And the peace to clear the air for us. How can we jump straight ahead and we want the Holy Spirit in these spectacular ways and we don't want the Holy Spirit in these more subtle, proven ways? Because the word never fails, but the New Testament says, where there be prophecies, they shall fail. So the word preached is a lot more sure than the prophecy from the altar. It's what the scripture teaches. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Amen. All right. Most fivefold ministers actively flow and operate in the gifts of the Spirit and preach under divine inspiration. We do not discount the inspired preached word of God. It actually will communicate more to you than a prophecy will. Therefore, being around them gives God ample opportunities to speak to you either through the gifts or through the preaching. That brings us back to the first point. Ministers as a source of doctrine and the word. Acts 14, 9 and 10. He listened to Paul. This is the lame man at Lystra. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul was preaching. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man, the man jumped up and began to walk. Paul was an avenue of the Holy Spirit, both through the word of knowledge and the working of miracles. Thank God the lame man at Lystra was in the meeting with Paul. If you weren't here Friday night, holy smokes, you missed a move of the Holy Ghost for what? Cookful? Cookful? I guarantee you, you did nothing Friday night that would justify why you missed prayer unless mama died and you were at the funeral. You missed something God did quite spectacularly and taught us a lot at the same time. This lame man would have been lame had he missed the meeting. So Paul's this avenue. First, he preaches the word. Faith is built. He perceives the man has faith through the word of knowledge. And then he gives a commandment, special faith there, commandment, stand up on your feet and walk. And then the gift of healings in operation. Three gifts of the spirit followed by the preaching of the word. Thank God this lame man was in the meeting with Paul and listened to the sermon and then obeyed the command to be healed. Acts 21, 10 through 11. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, must have been a long belt. The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Here's another example of preachers, a prophet in this case, as an avenue for the Holy Spirit. Even the apostle Paul was subject to a fellow preacher ministering a warning to him by the Spirit of God. Even us fellow ministers, we prophesy over each other. We declare warnings over each other. We declare concerns over each other. But we have an example here of the fivefold leaders operating as an avenue of the Holy Spirit. But again, we put the preacher as the fifth leading of God. First the Word, then wisdom, then peace, then the Holy Spirit's leadings, then the preacher, and then we'll cover the word of the Lord and the supreme voice of the Father from heaven next week. Praise God for the ministry of the fivefold preacher. And this is the one we're probably the most familiar with. We don't want to negate the others. I'm probably more real to you because I stand in front of you the most, but you need to know the word for yourself. 
You can get wisdom for yourself. You can walk in peace for yourself. And you can be led by the Holy Spirit for yourself. And then bring it all back to the pastor and say, judge this. Am I getting accurate? And we'll say, yeah, that's God. Or maybe think about this or think about that. Let me also say we're not interested in controlling the clothing that you wear. We just want you decent. We don't care what you eat. We just want you healthy. We don't care what you drive. We just want you to afford it. We don't care where you live as long as you're safe. We don't care how you decorate it as long as it's not hoarding. Because all those things that we don't like, they're representative of some kind of weird thing inside of you. So we're not here to control you. We're here to get you to finish your race, to cross that line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Father, we thank you for this lesson today. Thank you for all the fivefold ministers in the world obeying you and helping your people. Bless them, strengthen them, encourage them. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us ministers in our life, not just me as this local pastor, but all the wonderful guest ministers we bring through. And I thank you for my own pastor. We call this pod school lesson blessed. Bless those who listen to it. In Jesus' name, amen.